uh, Peter. We welcome Peter in as we hit the Memorial Day weekend. He will join us in a second. Uh, Yankees tonight, it will be Duffy and Montgomery in their rematch. Duffy pitched very well. The Mets will play the worst team in baseball uh, as the San Diego Padres come in. Uh, Chassin against Harvey in the first of three. Yankees have three more, including a Thursday afternoon game against the Royals uh, before they welcome the Oakland A's in. Over the weekend, the Mets will be spending the weekend uh, in Pittsburgh. They'll come home on Memorial Day Monday and play the Brewers in the afternoon. Uh, The Brewers playing very, very well right now. As a matter of fact, they will play them uh, in a 4 o'clock start. The Yanks will be in Baltimore for a 1 o'clock opener on Memorial Day. Memorial Day, of course, always the uh, first real measuring point in the season, and as we hit that measuring point uh, for the first time this year, there's a couple of surprises in the standings, no question about it. Uh, there's some uh, teams that you expected big things from this year that haven't gotten off to the start that you would uh, have expected, Boston to be one of those, Chicago, and we have our surprise teams, and that's where we'll go. Peter, as we get to the first measuring point of this baseball season, couple of surprises, obviously. Let me start with a big one, Colorado Rockies. Well, you know, when a lot of us saw them in spring training, we thought, you know what, they might have the best, pretty close to the best position team in baseball. And what, what's happened by all the pitching that uh, Jeff Breidich went out and got, and and I also, you know, hiring Bud Black. Bud Black's really, a tremendous manager. He really uh, is. And he's so great with both. Remember, San Diego was in it almost every year he managed yep. there. Very good manager. I've always thought so. Very good manager. And they're about six deep in the bullpen. They have four, three, four, five young, very hard-throwing. Yep. Pitchers. And they're winning on the road, which tells you they're doing it with pitching because their road record's tremendous. Yes, and their, their defense is good too. I mean, it's not Minnesota good, but um, their 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 defense is good. And uh, I just think it, there's a mentality there of play. Okay, we're going to play tight one run, two run games. We're not going to play these seventeen to eleven games, and it's really worked. And with the power pitching they have, I mean, the, that kind of power um, plays in that ballpark better than you know the sick of slider guys. So, I mean, you know. Doing very uh, well. And you mentioned another one. That's Minnesota. Minnesota, a team people picked in the 60s this year, off to a very nice start. Yeah, it really is amazing that the the defense that they have. I was going through the defensive efficiency and things like that. They're the best defensive team in baseball. Their outfield is far and away the best defensive. And you look at, you know, they have the the batting average of balls in play. I know that's a a sabermetric statistic, but it is interesting that Urban Santana has a 140 earned run average under that measure, which tells you it's the defense that really plays. Yep. And Kinsler, the closer, you know, he's nothing great. I mean, you know, he's, he's played in two or three different uh, independent leagues and fought his way for about 12 years to the minor leagues. But he throws the ball over the plate. He throws about 92. He throws strikes and lets the defense play. And meanwhile, Sano has has been unbelievable. I mean, Sano has had as good a year as just about anybody. His OPS is almost 1-1. He's got 37 RBIs. I mean, he's had a tremendous, at 24, had a tremendous season already. And I I like the fact that they're not, oh, geez, you know, we got a chance to win. we got to sit Buxton down. you got to let Buxton play. 
sooner or later he's going to figure it out. He's just an incredible athlete, but um, and he is a great defender. But you know, there you can't get deceived and say, "Oh boy, now we got a shot." You have to stick with what you're planning to do, and I, I think that that's one of the things that that um, uh, that they're doing very well in terms of just moving ahead, understanding what they have, and you know, if if things fall off a little bit, maybe Santana would be a good trade chip. Jose Barrios has come up and, and really figured it out. I didn't realize a friend of his told me that uh, he learned at the end of last season he tipped every one of his pitches the entire last season. Wow. Which got him, he, then he had all sorts of control problems because of it. Um, but, you know, those things have straightened out. They're an interesting team. Are they going to beat the Indians in the end? No. But at the same time, they can be dangerous. And, and we see historically teams that make huge jumps. Usually, one of the things that really happens, either they come up with a bunch of young arms or their defense improves dramatically. I remember remember that, that 88 team of the Orioles that lost 23 in a row. And the next year, they, they went down to the last weekend in Toronto with a chance to win it. And it was all because of defense. They just changed the whole team around defensively, caught the ball. All of a sudden, average pitches became better than average, and they got really good. And you look at a team like Pittsburgh, their outfield is now the worst defensively in the game. Amazing. And it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, obviously, Marte is a huge loss. But I'm. McCutcheon has just fallen off dramatically, too. I, I, I can't watch it. And I, I, I say that because he's such a really good person. I mean, and. Uh, but he, what is he hitting 204 is on bases under three? Unbelievable. Just and complete defensive collapse. defensive metrics are, are absolutely terrible. Yeah, you can't, you can't trade him. And, you know, talking about another team, how about the Brewers? The Brewers have done a nice job. They have. You know, they've, got some, they've got some pretty good offensive players. Um, and, um, well, I mean, they, they did a good job with Thames. I mean, you get a guy who's in Korea, comes over here, and he's done a nice job. He's had a heck of a year. Yeah, he has. And there are some other guys on the team. Braun is going to be healthy. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they play. The shortstop hasn't gotten going yet, but I think he will. Um, it's sort of a fun team to watch. And that's one of those cities. I think they're more prone to saying, if we have a chance, can we add? Because Milwaukee is a, is a really good baseball town. And I know this week it was a big deal to them. Because of their rivalry with the Cubs, they're always in the shadow of the Cubs. The north side to Milwaukee is not a very long drive. And half the ballpark, you know, when they, they play at home, half the stadium are Cubs fans. For them to go in and have a great series, four-game series with the Cubs, um, I think meant a lot for them in, in pushing the franchise forward. And, uh, you know, they've always been willing to spend. So that you know, if there are a couple of guys they can pick up, and not you know, not at twenty million dollars, but they have a couple of guys that, that they can pick up. Plus, they say, okay, we're going to hold on to Braun. They may do it and and make a shot at maybe finishing behind the Cubs and Cardinals. Talking with Peter Gammons. Uh, now on the other side, the teams that are off to the slow starts, we can start with the Red Sox right there. Some of it obvious, no Ortiz off a brilliant season, the price situation, uh, but the Red Sox struggling mightily so far this year. It's a very curious team. I mean, I recognize certain problems. Um, they don't have a, a lot of power at first, you know, below league average at first, um, way below league. They're the worst um, in terms of both defense and offense. They're the worst third base in baseball, um, and um, 
Hanley Ramirez the other day hit a home run in Oakland. That was his first extra base hit since May 5th. So at, at production positions, they don't have a lot of power, and they miss Ortiz. They're last in home runs and, what, eighth in, in uh, slugging. So now the question is going to be, they'll probably get sailed back a week from tomorrow. And then um, how much will his innings add to that team? Because they need – their bullpen needs a lot of relief. I mean, they, 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 they can't – they don't have anybody right now who is an eighth-inning pitcher. So they have to mix and match with Barnes or with, or with Kelly and guys like that. Um, they desperately need the innings that, that Price normally throws. My question still is, is he going to hold up? I mean, we don't really know anything about that elbow. I mean, it's just something. Yeah, obviously, Sale is really good. Rodriguez, um, on some advice, has really taken up the Sale way of pitching, which is, you know, Sale, Sale learned pace from Mark Burley. Um, and Sale works as, you know, he's one of the three, four quickest pitchers in the league right now. And I, I, Rodriguez has started pitching like that. He's been, his last six starts, he's been sensational. So they have the starting pitching to get there if Price comes back, but uh, they don't have depth in starting pitching. I just don't see them being able to go out and, you know, they can pick up a, a borderline guy, but I don't think they can go out and make anything that would be a significant push in the five stop. They don't want to go over that luxury tax threshold. I don't blame them. I don't blame the Yankees for not going over it because the 50% tax uh, next year would be, you know, really stifling. But at the same time, they need, they need a bat or two. And, you know, I think people would be shocked if it were Sandoval. And we all love Frazier, Todd Frazier, but um, you look at his numbers the last two years and, you know, what are you really getting there? Yeah, um, not the same player, that's for sure. No, it's um, – I think he's a guy that can play in Boston uh, and play really well. I, I thought it was very interesting. Um, there were excerpts from Ortiz's book um, in the Boston Herald today, and he was talking a lot about how management has to figure out who can play in this city and who can't. Yep. Um, I think it's tough for David Price at times um, because he, he's so thoughtful of other people. I think – you know, you're better off being like Sale and just being able to pull down, uh, uh, pull down the shades and not see or hear a thing. Well, he was very good to, uh, you know, because I had Ortiz on. He was on with me last week. Uh, now he did change his tune a little bit about the about the you know the year that of the anonymous testing. He didn't. He had a whole different story than he had with me uh, a couple of days later when he got back to Boston. But other than that. He made a big point about how instrumental Pedro was in bringing him to the Red Sox and also how big Manny was as this really the most brilliant batting coach that he ever encountered was Manny. Pedro used to tell him what to go up and look for, he said, because he knew every pitcher. And Manny, anytime he did anything with his hands wrong, Manny was all over him. He said those two had enormous influences on him. Now, you're around that team all the time, so you probably were aware of that. But a lot of people weren't aware of how much Manny and Pedro had such a big influence on Ortiz. Yeah, Manny has – one of the things that Manny used to talk about a lot, which I found fascinating, was it started with his landing foot and ended up with his shoulder. So one day I said, so what you're trying to say to me is you can't connect the the left landing foot and the right shoulder. He said, that's exactly – you can quote me on that one. (laughs) And and he said, that's exactly it. when you get into a funk, you get into it. There's a disconnect where your body doesn't doesn't connect 
throughout. And he was tremendous. Plus, he could set pitchers up. I mean, I just I was always amazed by his ability to hit in, in clutch situations against Mariano Rivera. But he was fearless, and he, he just he he, uh, he would just sort of figure, okay, um, he's not going to waste anything. He's not going to throw anything but the cutter here. I'm going to go out and get it and just drive. You always hit it right back through the middle. One time you won a game in the ninth inning yep. by hitting a line drive through his legs. I mean, and, he, uh, if you went statistically, just based on statistics, late game, extra innings, dramatic situations, World Series, you can make a very good case that he's the best postseason hitter of all time. I mean, if you look at his World Series numbers, which are off the charts, and you look at his late game stuff, he and Bernie, the only two guys ever to have two walk-offs in the playoffs, uh, all the big hits he had, so many countless games, dominated the World Series. I mean, his World Series numbers are better than Reggie Jackson's. I mean, so, I mean, his he might be as good or, I mean, you could talk about all the great ones, Mantle, uh, Reggie Jackson, all the ones down the line. Luke Brock, who was so good in the World Series. You go down the line, uh, he might be the best postseason hitter of all time. Uh, he may be. I mean, it's, you know, he'll, he'll never make the Hall of Fame because of, of um, multi-suspensions. Uh, um, um, and, and the 2008 thing still does not sit well with most people. Um, when he shot his way out of town and then uh, got about 20 people in Arizona fired because the Dodgers went down, you know, couldn't lose in September. Oh, you're yeah. talking about Manny. I'm talking about Ortiz might be the best. Oh, oh, Manny Ortiz, was oh, great, no. too. Manny might be as good a right-handed hitter as we've ever seen, but I think Ortiz's body of work oh, yes. is probably the best in the postseason of all time, counting the World Series. The guy was unstoppable in these, in these World Series games. Oh, he was. And he, again, was especially evolved in the last eight or nine years because he came very close to being released in 2009, 2010. Because he got off to bad starts, and um, I was actually working for Nesson one one year, and they had a post game. I, I wasn't doing the show, but they had a post game question: is, "Is it time to release David Ortiz?" And like ninety percent of the viewers, you know, tweeted in, uh, "Yes, he should wow. be released." So, and it it, um, it 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 never escapes him. But he he learned to study the game so much. I'll tell you another. I mean. Um, and Gonzalez really helped him. I mean, he, he, David listened to people, and I thought that was a great attribute. He was a listener more than a preacher. He was a listener. And that's and a good he, point, yeah, because he does admit that. He mentions Gonzalez in the book. Plus, you probably remember the incident very well. He was so hurt by when Francona in Toronto pinch hit for him by going and getting him out of the box with Lowell. He never forgave Francona for that. I mean, he, I he, he basically said that was the end of us right there. He said it was the fact that he let him go to the box and get in the box and then went and took him out of the box. He said he never got over it. Now, I will say this, and I think Terry Francona is a great manager. I do think um, with certain players, star-level players, I think you, you have to use – I don't think you can let them be embarrassed. Um, I once saw Joe Morgan send Marty Barrett up for Jim Rice. He never told him. He did, Rice was in the batter's box. All of a sudden, Marty Barrett is marching out to take his place. And he, he sent Barrett up to bunt. And, you know, I mean, uh, to this day, um, I don't think Jim Rice has ever forgiven him. 
And I kind of get that. I, I, mean, I get it, too. I, I agree. You know, those great players, they don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, you never saw anybody do that to Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays. They didn't do that to those guys. No, they didn't do it to Reggie Jackson. Right. Who, who you know, was a, obviously a, a, a great player, too. There, there is something there. I mean, um, and, and so it wasn't bother. I, one time I was actually coming down, I was supposed to meet Tito at his office at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and he had been pinch hit for the night before, and he was very upset, and I was going down the little hallway there at Fenway, and I could hear Ortiz's voice raised. I got out, I got out, I went back out of the field very fast because, you know, those are certain times when you just, it's it's their business. Managers and players have their disagreements. They all do, and just let it go. But uh, there were times when he was he was really upset, and I I think uh, uh, I know that he came within when he was hitting about two seventeen or something um, in early May. There was a lot of talk about him being released in, in, in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. And um, he never forgot that. I You're mean, the he, person who would be the perfect person. To, you'd have a better opinion on this than anyone. We're talking about Peter Gammons. Do you believe the suspicions that cloak him? And he had good answers. Hey, that first test was voluntary. I might, I'm not even admitting I was on it, but if I was, I could have tested positive for amphetamines and no one would know because they didn't specify what was what. I never tested positive after that. These other guys did. I said, well, what about you always followed Manny? Well, my name's Ortiz. It's not Ramirez, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he had an answer for everything. Do you believe... He will be above the line where these other guys are going to be below it, like A Rod and Manny and all these guys. Or do you think the just the taint of what we think of speculation, not only him maybe being on the 2004, but also the idea that he was so close to being out of the game, playing badly, and then he took off again? The, the, the peaks and valleys. That makes people suspicious. Do you think the suspicion will keep him out of the Hall of Fame? I don't, and I think that um, I think that a lot of things changed with um, with Piazza, Bagwell, Pudge Rodriguez. Uh, I think that there are certain cases where um, they'll never get in, but I think that uh, on the borderline cases, people will just say, "Look, the guy was really great." I think Ortiz is post. Um, postseason history will get him through, and it's not, I mean, right down to his last year leading the league in OPS. Oh, he was brilliant uh, I, I last did, year. I asked him why I he retired, he and he said, because I said to him, I did the Connecticut Sports Foundation dinner with Peter in, in February, and I said to him, I got to ask you one question: How do you retire off this year? He said, I could hit, but I could. My feet hurt so much I couldn't run. If you get me a new pair of feet, I could play. But yeah, was, I mean, that's unbelievable. Really I mean, that he could hurt that much that he could still hit that way. And again, he was amazing in his ability. Um, what he did later in his career, um, when he first had those those troubles at the beginning of 2009, 2010, he was trying to catch up the fastball. He had a, a traditional hole up and in, and he had to, that ballpark was made for him. He could just reach out, quick fastballs over the uh, over the monster. Um, and he got away with starting being very conscious of trying to pull a ball and, and worry about that fastball in. And he made the adjustments. He got a little bit better on the fastball in, but he went back to his basics, which is I'm going to play Fenway Park, and, and you know I can hit the ball. I can I can hit the ball out of the ballpark in every direction in that place. And uh, I mean, 
which is what Mo Vaughn did. Mo Vaughn had unbelievable numbers in that park as well. And uh, I, I think he goes in, and um, there will be people who don't vote for him. But I still that a whole the whole um, cloud over the the, um, the testing that to determine whether or not they have drug uh, permanent drug testing was so badly handled. And the Players Association is to, is to blame for a lot oh, of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no and, question. And I, you know, I, feel so, I actually feel sorry for all those guys. That I don't think that they were really prepared for what was happening and what was going to happen. Um, but it certainly uh, killed a lot of them. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the first year of the testing for Palmeros to come out at, at, at the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony. Oh, killer. It was just a killer. And this guy that was an unquestioned Hall of Famer. No question. I mean, his, you go back and look at his numbers. It's just amazing. And, you know, I'm glad to see his kids playing in the minor leagues now. And, and uh, they seem, you know, there's no bitterness there. But uh, uh, it's still, I'm sure there are some guys that might have had their careers ruined by that testing program that uh, – Regret it terribly. I'll give you the, in closing, Peter, I'll give you the one that's making the rounds here so uh, you can weigh in. Right now, uh, five years from now, you want Judge or you want Conforto? Which one you want on your team? You can only have one. Which So the question is, they're both having great years. Here they are in New York, Yankee, Met, both doing great jobs fielding over their uh, reputations, throwing guys out, making great catches, both with OPSs over one, uh, both in double-digit homers. Uh, right now, weigh in. Conforto in five years or Judge in five years? Well, if you had asked me this on March 25th, I would have said Conforto for sure. I, don't wait. I, I am now a judge. His ability to make adjustments – I asked Joe Girardi about this, and he went, hey, I mean, we, we didn't see this coming. His ability to make judgments, uh, to be able to make adjustments, um, are really beyond what veteran players ever could see. And I, I give him a lot of credit for that. I think he's a really smart baseball player. Uh, he's got an awareness about him, and he actually doesn't act like a rookie. He's, uh, he stands in front of his locker already. He kind of gets it, and he's getting a lot of celebrity, and so far he's handling it pretty well. So most of the guys are voting for Judge. I think he's winning. I'd say he's winning about 7 out of 10 right now, but Conforto is also having a wonderful year. He's having a tremendous year. He really he's is. playing so much better defensively. Oh, than Angels week. ran on him all weekend, and they threw him out. He threw two guys out. I mean, they basically came in with a scouting report, which they're not going to have too long because he threw a couple of guys out this weekend. And um, all my – Friends from the Cubs tell me, just wait till Torres is playing second, short, third, wherever he's playing. Yeah, second is what I, everyone's saying. Yeah, he's. He, they say, uh, I don't think they can keep him in the minors this year. They just put him in AAA, and I don't think he's going to be here before you know it. I think he can, he can play. He's already played second, short, and third in the minors. He can do that with a very good double play combination. They can figure out from there. And the way the game is going in depth um, these days, uh, I mean, um, I was looking up lists. It's incredible how many players have already played three, started at three positions this season. The game's changing dramatically because everybody's going to the seven and eight bullpens. You've got to be able to play more than one position. And so they can break Torres in without that pressure. I know the Cubs think 
he's going to be a 35 home run guy to right center field. Wow. And they say he has no heartbeat. I mean, he's, he's unflappable and he plays with a, with that, uh, pulse and, uh, innate sense of exactly where he is. That is just, you can't teach it. Thanks very much.